comes to making decisions, there's a couple of options. Uh, you can either make the right decision or you can make the wrong decision. So that's where it begins. It begins with right choice, wrong choice. And some people are obvious wrong choice makers. Uh, they make wrong choices on a fairly consistent basis. Uh, again and again and again. And maybe some of you used to be this way where you were making the wrong choice uh, on a regular basis. But now uh, through the power of Christ in your life, you're able to make morally and ethically and, and biblically right choices in your lives. Uh, maybe you're still trying to break that pattern of wrong decision making in your life and you're asking God to help you on a regular basis. And either way, you know, God will help. God will step in and give us the power that we need to make consistent, right, biblical choices in our lives. But even on the right decision side of things, because there is that side where we're on the, you know, we're making the right choice. We've still got options that that fork in the road kind of forks again and you can make the right decision immediately because you want to do the right thing. That's one way you can do it. You can make the right decision because you're afraid of getting punished for making the wrong one. That's another choice. Or you can make the right decision after making the wrong one and getting caught and having to pay the price for that. So even when we're making right choices, there's several different ways that we can make right choices. For any of you who've been following along with the story of Jonah that we've been going through, you may be aware that this last one is the path we find our main character on. He makes the right decision after making the wrong one, after getting caught, and after paying the price for that. Uh, and we'll talk about that for in, in just a few minutes. But before we get into the story of Jonah and how he made his decisions, I want to talk about what comes after making a right decision. What lies on the other side of making the right choice? You can make a right decision for all the wrong reasons and have a horrible attitude about the right decision you're making. And if you're not following me, if you don't understand that, um, all you moms have to do is think about your children. Uh, they do what you tell them to do, but sometimes it's written all over their face, their body language. I'm not happy about this. I'm doing this, but my heart's not in it. I'm doing this, but I'm defiant on the inside, even though I'm compliant on the outside. Uh, maybe even muttering under their breath that they are not happy about doing what they are supposed to be doing. And so we see that even in our children. And, and maybe that helps you understand what it means to make the right choice for the wrong reasons or with the wrong motivation behind it. So here's the question. Um, when our kids do that and they obey in that way, does that make you happy that they obeyed? No, we, because the thing is, we don't just want their obedience. We want their hearts to be in the right place while they do the right thing. We want both. Uh, and here's the thing. When we obey without our hearts being in it, it's not true obedience. It's compliance. When we obey without our hearts being in it, it's really not true obedience. It's compliance. It's conformity. And this is what I want you to be thinking about as we talk through the final chapter of Jonah this morning. When you obey God in your life, where is your heart? When you obey God, is your heart in the right place? Are you obeying right away? Are you obeying for the right reasons? Or are you obeying only after we face consequences uh, for our bad choices? Are you obeying, but you're kind of folding your spiritual and emotional arms across your chest and you have a pouty face inside? 
Let's see how Jonah did in his ultimate obedience uh, to what God had asked him to do. So here's uh, a quick summary. Uh, a quick summary of uh, what we talked about already in the first three chapters of the book of Jonah. You see, Jonah is a prophet. Uh, Jonah is, uh, and the majority of the time, biblical prophets are not people who are predicting the future like we think of prophecy. Instead, in biblical prophecy, they're presenting a God view of the reality of the present. What is God feeling about how things really are in the world around them? And in this case, God tells Jonah to go to a city called Nineveh and to give them a message, to deliver a message to this city of Nineveh. And Jonah has a problem with this because Nineveh is the principal city of Assyria, which is a big time enemy of Israel and his fellow Israelites. They aren't going to look very favorably on him going and taking uh, this message to their enemies. And uh, we can be quick to pass judgment on Jonah, but how many of us have done that exact same thing? Not necessarily involving Nineveh, but, and not the exact circumstances, but have you ever been in a situation where you fail to do the right thing because of what others are going to think about you? Or what the perception would be if you break with where everyone else is going and you decide to do what God wants you to do. Or because you're afraid you might lose face. We've all been there. We've all had those kinds of moments in our lives. So instead of obeying God, Jonah hops on a ship and he heads in the complete opposite direction. While he's on board, God causes this huge storm to blow up uh, and the ship is about to sink. And these these hardened sailors who do this for a living are terrified. They draw lots because the storm is so big that they figure that God is mad at them and they want to know whose fault is this? Who's the reason that this is happening? And the lot pointed to Jonah. And so they wake him up and they ask Jonah, hey, what's the deal here? And he tells them the truth that he was running from God and that he says, throw me overboard and then they would be fine. So they did. They, they pick Jonah up. They toss him right over the side of the boat. And Jonah is swallowed by what the Bible describes as a great fish. And for three days, Jonah lives in the belly of this creature and has it out with God, with his own conscience. And at the end of three days, Jonah repents. He tells God he will obey. And the fish spits him out onto dry ground. And the rest of the story is pretty straightforward. Jonah preaches to the city, tells them that God is going to destroy them in three days, then leaves and goes to watch the destruction. He had obeyed God, and now he wanted them to experience God's wrath. And the king orders their people to fast and even tells them not to feed their livestock. This is a pretty hardcore fast. They repent as a nation. God hears their cries. He relents. He doesn't destroy them because they have repented. It's a great story. I mean, this is everything that we have come to know about and understand about God. I mean, what a finish. Forgiveness, repentance, grace, mercy. It's all here. All those incredible attributes of God being brought out in this awesome book of Jonah. The problem is this is the end of chapter three, and there are four chapters in Jonah. So that's what we're here to talk about today. We're going to hear this final chapter. We know how chapter three ends, but let's hear how chapter four begins. And we'll start with Jonah 4, 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So we immediately start to see Jonah's true colors come out. And a lot of the frustration 
that you will experience in this lifetime comes from thinking God should have done something differently. That you know better than God knows. That your master plan for your life is better than the plan the master has for your life. And you have to understand that is never going to work. Jonah is upset because God saved this city of Nineveh, 600,000 people who got right with God, and he's upset. 600,000 people make the decision to repent of their ways and turn towards God, and Jonah's upset. Now, that's ludicrous in and of itself, but wait until you hear why Jonah is upset. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. He says, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God. I knew you were slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. And, and he's using God's incredible character as an insult He's, he's taking God down for being this amazing, loving, compassionate, gracious God. God is a God of relentless grace that pursues us even when we don't deserve it. God gives us one opportunity after another to do the right thing. And these are all amazing attributes of God. And I thank God every day for his character that lines up with what we just described. Uh, but Jonah throws them back in God's face like God needs to change who he is. And it just really doesn't make sense. But here's the thing. When you and I, and when all of us as human beings, when we are hyper emotional, when we're angry, when we don't get our way, we don't always think rationally, do we? And, you know, you can look at your spouse and just kind of say, yes, that's true. Um, we don't always think rationally when we're upset or depressed or hurt. Uh, we're not there. And it's a great question to have taped to a mirror somewhere. You know, the next time you're upset, the next time you're filled with anxiety, the next time you're, you're depressed or you've been hurt, stop and ask yourself this question. Am I thinking rationally? Am I thinking rationally? Because most of the time, your rational thought part of your brain is being suppressed by the emotionally out of control part. But there's a chance you'll see a glimmer of reason through the haze of emotions. Jonah did not. He's mad that God is so good. And he tells God so. Which, this is absolutely crazy because everything that Jonah despises about God, he has experienced himself. I mean, that's, that's the irony of this. God has been gracious, merciful, compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love, and turned back from destroying Jonah. Jonah deserved it. Jonah deserved to be written off. And yet Jonah redeemed him. He brought him back. He shouldn't be resentful. Jonah should be grateful. Jonah didn't seem to have a problem with any of these characteristics when he was in the belly of the giant fish, did he? There is no one in this story who has received more grace than Jonah did. And what we need to understand is your perspective of God 
needs to be based on who God is and not on what is happening around you. God's character, who God is, the way the word of God describes him, that is how we should have our perspective of God locked in, not based on what's happening around us. Because what happens around us is going to influence our emotions. It's going to take us in different directions. And that's not an anchor that we can hold on to. God is unchanging. God's character is flawless. He is perfect in every way. And we can anchor ourselves to the certainty of who God is. And when everything else around us changes, we still can hold tightly to that unchanging hand. And our perspectives give us a skewed perspective on who God really is, or especially on how you're feeling. Because feelings are completely fickle. Proverbs 28, 26, those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. We can't trust our own perspective. We can't trust our insight. We can't trust those types of things, but we can walk in the wisdom that God provides us. Now, Jonah is resentful because of one thing. He stopped thinking of himself as a sinner. I want you to think about this. Jonah is not upset with God's character. Jonah is not upset with the Ninevites. Jonah is upset because he stopped thinking of himself as a sinner. He doesn't recognize his own shortcomings. And that holds true in a lot of our lives. We get off track when we forget just how much God has forgiven us of. Jonah applied the word of God to those around him, but forgot that it applies to himself as well. And what I want you to understand is, we, we tend to, we read the word of God and we, we look at God's word through binoculars and we look at other people and see how it applies to them before we use it as a mirror. And we need to use the word of God as a mirror reflecting back who we are so we have a better understanding of who we are and an accurate God-given picture of who we are before we start looking outward and seeing how we can apply it to others. Jesus taught this, you know, when he says, hey, you, you want to remove the speck from somebody else's eye when you've got a big old beam in your own eye, deal with that, then you can see clearly to help someone else. And so we need to have an accurate and healthy and biblical and God-given picture of who we are. And I want to encourage you, that should be a regular part of your prayer life where you stop, you pause, and you ask the Holy Spirit to search you, examine me, show me where I am off track. Show me where I have started to think in a skewed perspective, an unbiblical perspective about who I am and maybe about the world around me as well. Don't worry about applying what the Bible has to say to other people until you've applied it to your own life. What is God saying to you? How does God want to change you? Those are the most important questions that you can ever ask. And we all need to be asking those questions regularly. Make that a regular part of your life, uh, of your prayer life, is understanding who I am in God. Um, but we tend to look around us and say things like, well, they need to change. Look what the Bible says. Jonah had a totally binocular perspective. He was looking outward when it came to God's judgment. He didn't look in the mirror and see his own failure. And if you see yourself as a basically worthy person, that God owes you good things, you're going to be off. Grace is going to be completely shocking to you. 
when grace gets given to somebody around you. You get resentful when God seems to be blessing people in ways that they don't deserve. But even in Jonah's resentment, in the middle of that, we see how God's grace is greater than Jonah's sin. And, and that is true always. God's grace is always greater than our sin. God's grace is always greater than our sin. And I'm hoping that we have, you know, 60, 70 people watching online right now saying amen. Because that should resonate with us. That no matter where we go, no matter what we do, God's grace, our sin can be here, it can be mounting, it can keep climbing the hill. God's grace is always greater. Now, Jonah does not get this at all. Just how much does Jonah not get this? Let's look at verse 3. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Seriously, Jonah? I mean, you'd rather die than see your enemies become your brothers and sisters in God's family. This is where your heart is really at. Now, it's easy for us to be like, whoa, Jonah, chill out, my friend. Like, get a grip. But think about it in today's context. What if, or even recent history, what if God had offered mercy to Hitler or to bin Laden or to ISIS or to your ex or to the person that fired you and they repented? Would you be okay worshiping Jesus for eternity right next to them? And it does kind of give us pause. It's something to think about. What is my perspective on God's grace as it applies to other people and not just to me? And that's the question this story is really driving at. Are you really okay with God being gracious to everyone the same way he has been gracious to you? Are you okay with that? That if God gives other people the same grace that he's given you, are you okay? And I, I want to just make sure this is out there. You need to be. Because God is consistent. God is going to give grace to you. He's going to give grace to the person that hurt you. He's going to give grace to the person that offended you. He's going to give grace to all of those people if they come and repent and make the decision that I want to follow God's plan and God's leading in my life. God will forgive them. And that's God's goal for all of humanity, that everyone would experience his love, that everyone would experience his mercy. God will judge sin. There's no question God is going to judge sin, but he has made a way out for us. That in this lifetime, we have the opportunity to repent. Jonah uh, chapter four, verse four continues, and, and he gives Jonah an opportunity. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Now, what is God doing? He's giving Jonah yet another opportunity. Jonah has a bad attitude. Jonah's angry with God. Jonah's making some incredibly disrespectful statements towards God. He has a horrible attitude. And God comes back at him with an opportunity for him to introspectively examine himself and to say, okay, wait a minute, maybe I'm not thinking clearly here. This is one of God's famous rhetorical questions. Hey, Jonah, that same grace I showed you is the same grace I'm showing them. So can you really be angry about that? But Jonah didn't want their repentance. He wanted their destruction. He thinks God is being too soft. These are not God's chosen people. They, these, these are foreigners. In fact, these are Israel's enemy. And Jonah thinks they should be destroyed no matter what. 
So now we continue in verses 5 and 6. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city. Now, why did he go out to the east side of the city? Basically, he went out there to sulk, to have a pity party, and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Now, why is he doing this? He still thinks there's a chance that they could be destroyed, and he's going to see this thing through. He's going out there to sit. He's looking, uh, overlooking the city, and he's sitting under the shelter, and he's waiting for fire to rain down from heaven. Literally pouting, it's a prophet pity party that he's having here. Verse 6, And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. More grace God is showing Jonah, but you'll see in a second, this is an object lesson that God is using to help teach Jonah something. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. I'm telling you, if there is one guy in the Bible that we read about that is so consumed with how things affect them and, and just how they are treated and how they are feeling and that just skews everything for them, Jonah has to be near the top of that list. For the first time, we read that Jonah is happy. The only time he was happy about God's provision or grace is when it benefited him, when it was convenient for him. And you got to understand, God's character is not conditional on your contentment. God's character is not conditional on your contentment. It is way broader than that. In fact, it's not conditional on anything. God's character is. It does not change. It doesn't get modified. It doesn't evolve over time. God's character, God is who he is, and that does not change. And it does not yield to my contentment, whether I'm content or not. God's not going to change who he is and how he interacts with his creation. We're always happy to receive God's provision, but as long as it matches our preference. Jonah wants shade. God provides a plant. He loves it. Jonah's glad. He's happy. Jonah needs a heart change. God provides an opportunity for him to love his enemies. He hates it. He's not happy with that at all because Jonah still has not come to the realization that God's provision isn't for your comfort, it's to fulfill your calling. God's provision isn't for your comfort, it's to fulfill your calling. When God provides for you, it's to grow you, it's to better you, it's to help shape you into the you that he designed you to be. God's provision, everything that God does in our lives is towards that end. It's moving us towards us becoming the person that he wants us to be so he can use us to help other people become whom he designed them to be. And sometimes that feels great. Sometimes it doesn't feel all that great. You know, God's provision is not always good things, things that makes us feel good. Sometimes God provides correction in my life. It's still provision, but he's correcting me. He's moving me in a direction that I need to go to better become the person that he wants me to be and needs me to be as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. God brings correction into my life, and that's part of God's provision, and that doesn't always feel good, but it's still all part of God's provision. At the end of the day, God wants you to become more like Jesus. 
And he wants others to be drawn to Jesus. And that's why he does everything he does. Everything that God does is towards that end of helping people discover what it means to be loved by him and to find that love in Jesus. So what does God do here in the case of Jonah? The plant's there, grows up over his head, Jonah's happy. Now we get to Jonah 4-7. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. Guys, this is awesome. I mean, this is like some bee horror movie. Giant plant-eating worms, news at 11. And this, this worm comes on the scene and eats through this vine overnight and it withers away. And all I know is this, God has more than one way of getting our attention. God has more than one way of getting our attention and we see it all the way through the book of Jonah. Sometimes he uses the wind and the sailors had to pay attention. Sometimes he uses the whale and sometimes he uses the worm. God has a lot of different ways that he uses to get our attention. And it's always better to pay attention sooner rather than later. It's always better to be looking for how God is speaking to us. And that's why it's so important to be in God's word, to allow him to speak to us on a regular basis, to be praying on a regular basis and looking to him and allowing the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to, to expose those parts of our lives that are, are not in alignment with God's character and with his word. So now this worm eats away the vine and now we come to the conclusion of Jonah in verses 8 through 11. Let's look at those together. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Guys, listen to this. It's yet another chance. Does Jonah finally respond the right way? Does he get it? Does he turn away from his selfishness? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. So the answer to that question is no, Jonah does not respond the right way. This vine grows up over his head, he's happy. The vine goes away and his head gets hot and now he is angry enough to die. Jonah is a man with some emotional baggage. So let's continue. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about that plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And that's it. Close the book on Jonah. No more. What does Jonah answer to God's question? I mean, it ends. God asks a question at the end. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? One more time, God reaches out to Jonah in his compassion, in his love, in his fatherly uh, correction and says, Jonah, hey, here's the truth. What do you think? And then the book ends. We have no idea how Jonah responded to that. It is a biblical cliffhanger. The writer did not intend to tell us about Jonah, but to put God's question clearly before you and before me. Do you care more about plants or people? 
Do you care more about temporary things or where someone is going to spend eternity? It's a question that every one of us needs to ask ourselves. I mean, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? I mean, who's going to, but think about it. What do you care more about? Do you care about lost people? You know, we talked about at the beginning of the, right before we started service and uh, Hayden and Ray and some others were talking about pets and cats and dogs and how people kind of sometimes go a little overboard on the pet side of things. But ask ourselves, do we care more about lost people or pets? Some people spend more money on their dog than they do the mission of God. Do we care more about lost people or our paycheck? Do you spend more time climbing the corporate ladder to improve your standing or leveraging your position at work to lift up the name of Jesus? Do you care more about lost people or your popularity? Do you spend more energy worrying about offending your friends instead of telling them about Jesus or inviting them to church? It's easy to knock Jonah or shake your head at Jonah's responses until we look in the mirror and realize there's a lot of Jonah in us. Our lost people, even your enemies, are they just a concept to you? Or are they real, living, breathing people that will spend eternity in hell unless you share the good news of God's grace and God's mercy with them? And what this story shows is that those who have received great grace should be the first to give great grace. When we have been the recipients, and this is all of God's people, this is the church. If we've received great grace, and guess what? If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have received great grace. We should be the first to give it. And I'll be the first to tell you, I don't always have great grace for people. And it's something I'm asking God to do a work in my heart every single day. Because I need to. In fact, I'm commanded to. No matter what someone has done, God's grace, God's compassion are greater. No matter what they've done to you, you are called to share what God has done for them. And not only that, but to love them just like God loves them. And that's the challenge. Because God's ability to forgive is infinitely greater than our ability to sin. God's ability to forgive is infinitely greater than our ability to sin. God doesn't come after you because he needs you, but because you need him. The reason God seeks sinners, the reason God saves sinners, the reason God sends sinners like Jonah and like you and like me is that God loves sinners. Romans 5.8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus died for us. He died for Jonah. He died for Nineveh. He died for everyone who will ask Jesus to save them. And God's question to Jonah is before every one of us today. He cares for those who are far from him, and that might be you. It might be the person that he wants to send you to. God cares. This is how Jonah ends, and it's the question we have to answer today. How do I respond to the grace of God? How do I biblically and accurately and, uh, and authentically respond to the grace of God? 
And maybe you have. Maybe you've responded to God's grace and, and you're in a good place in your relationship with God, but maybe not so much in your relationship with other people because you're not extending the same grace that God has extended to you. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a solid relationship with God. You're, you're not in a good place yourself with God's grace. And I want to have a time of prayer this morning where we can uh, lift one another up in prayer and, and we can pray for you because I think all of us probably could grow in this area of grace.